Hello and welcome to season two of Chatting to a Friend. Season one was the most amazing experience for me and the life lessons and wisdom I learned from my guests, plus the fun I had was absolutely beyond my wildest dreams. The goal for season two is to add more variety and diversity to my guest list. I absolutely love adventure and sport and so those will still feature heavily, but I wanted to talk to more women who have very different life experiences to mine, careers, backgrounds and challenges that I wanted to learn more about to widen my understanding and broaden my horizons. I realise there's a lot of me, me, me in this intro, but it's because I still feel like it's the most extraordinary privilege for me to talk to and learn from these women. And so even if no one's listening, it remains the most personal of all my projects. Having said that, from the amazing feedback I've had and how much you have kept listening between seasons, I know you're going to love these conversations too. Please don't forget to rate and review the podcast either on Apple or on lovethepodcast.com forward slash chatting to a friend. I can't wait to hear how you love season two. Hi, and welcome to the very first episode of season two of Chatting to a Friend. Today's guest, the very first of this new season, is Ingrid McKinnon, who is a dancer, a movement director, a choreographer, and a teacher. She has performed all over the world, as you will hear. We talk about her dance background. We talk about how she became a movement director. We actually discuss what is a movement director. And also, there is a conversation around being a woman of colour in this professional capacity. Interesting to hear of her experience and how it has shaped who she is today and how she continues in her life and in her work. I'm very grateful to Ingrid for her time and for her frankness. I loved it and I hope you do too. Hi Ingrid, thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. Good, good. Well, it's really, I'm really excited to speak to you. And the reason we got in touch is because I know your husband, or I met him many, 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 many moons ago, more than we'd all like to admit. And uh, he posted something really great about you on LinkedIn, I think. And I thought, yes, that's exactly the woman I want on my podcast. (laughs) That's funny, but I have to say he's slightly biased. So... (laughs) <laughs> well, I've done my own independent research and I think, yeah, no, that's pretty good. She's good. She'll do. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> cool. So, um, Ingrid, I am quite fascinated because I had never, ever heard of a movement director before. Can you tell me, I mean, obviously I've Googled it, but tell me what it is you do because it sounds fascinating. Okay. Well, what I do is I work on, um, right now I work mainly on theater productions um, and I come in and I collaborate with the, the cast and the creative team to help activate the physical language of the storytelling. Mm. So that could mean anything from really specific physicality in the actor's bodies, or it can mean helping to shape an overall physical language that maybe might um, go together with a score, like if there's music, Mm -hmm. so, you know, you feel like the whole world comes together and it makes sense. Or sometimes Mm -hmm. it's like choreographing, you know, a joyous jig, um, Mm -hmm. from time to time in the middle of a show. So, um, yeah, it's a variety of things, but it's always to deal, to do with, um, physical, physicalizing storytelling in my mind anyways, in my opinion. 
And is that something that actors learn? And, and so I, I, presumably they learn it when they go to acting school, she says, without really knowing what acting school <laughs> does, but or whether that's even the right word. Um, but so is it like sort of individually or it's more sort of a global look at the production, as you say, and sort of making sure people are moving it with each other? Yeah, well, I think most actors uh, at drama school. <laughs> so thank she, you very much. Yes, welcome. please. Thank you for correcting me. I suddenly had this terrible blank. <laughs> uh, and um, they, they will learn actor movement. So, but most of the time um, that is them learning about their own bodies, mm. you know, learning about how the capabilities of their own bodies, learning about their bodies in relation maybe to another body in space. Um, and um, yeah. And then as they go further along in their training, they start to learn how um, that work, the their body can also be a source of storytelling mm. because a lot of the time, you know, there's a lot of focus on, and, and rightly so, there's focus on the text and mm-hmm. the voice and how they articulate and project. And, and so I think them learning about their bodies and how their bodies also tell uh, a lot of the story is something that they go through as part of their training. And then when you work, when they, when they go out into the wider professional world and they work on professional productions, most of the time uh, nowadays, more, more likely than not, there's a, a movement director or a movement consultant or even a choreographer who will then work with them in you know a variety of different ways. Like everybody will have their own different way of working, but mm. um, it won't be the first time they would have, somebody would have talked about movement to them. Mm. Yeah. And I love that concept of the body as a focus of storytelling. And that must be true in everyday life as well as on the stage. Yeah, absolutely. I always think about the fact that, you know, when you go to see a play, you know, yes, you're, you're hoping to understand what, what they're, what, what's happening by listening to the words, but mm. most of the time you see the actor's bodies first. Mm. And most of the time, before you even understand what's really going on, you're just kind of watching their body language, mm. you know, Oh, that actor walked on. Oh, they, they, they folded that shirt. Oh, they sat on that sofa, you know, like mm-hmm. before you even really understand the kind of nuance of the text. Mm. And that's just in real life, right? Like you just, yeah. you see another person walking on the street towards you. you. You're gauging all sorts of information about the way they walk, the way they hold their body. So yeah, it's, it's, it's life. Yeah. And just, I was thinking, you know, you walk, you see an actor walking onto stage and slumped shoulders immediately tells you this is not, this is not starting with a happy story There you go. or, you know, skipping on tells of joy. And, and yeah, that's really fascinating. I love that. And how did you get to do that? Because I, I, well, let's go back because you started dancing when you were three. Yes. And you okay. say, I read saying that your, your mom sent you to dance class. And was that something that had been really important to her or was it just an activity for her three-year-old to do that became a passion? Well, it was, an, it was important to her because I think, as she tells me, it's something that she had wanted to do growing up in mm. Jamaica and wasn't uh, available to her. So mm-hmm. when she had me and, you know, we're living, you know, in Canada now, she's like, right, I want my daughter to do all the things that I couldn't do. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I was always naturally that type of kid. She was reminding me of a story of like me, um, going to the shopping mall in Canada with her, our, lo- our local shopping mall, the Bramley city center. And, um, mm. and I disappeared. I don't know how old I was. I was maybe five or six, you know, every parent's nightmare. Mm. And so then she runs out of the store and there's a circle of people cheering on. And there I am in the middle dancing. <sighs> 
(laughs) (laughs) So I I was always that kid. (laughs) So you loved it from, you always remember loving it. I always remember loving it. There wasn't a moment I didn't love it. And I think there was a time when I was offered, you know, she was like, right, do you want to learn how to play piano? But if you did that, that meant you can't, you know, go to your dance on Saturday. It was one or the other, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, nope. Yeah. You know, okay. Right. Do you want to do this thing? Because if you do this thing, but then it means that we have to take away some of your nope. So um, it was always it was always dance. I loved it. Loved it right from the beginning. And how do you think that helped you growing up? Because you know we know so often that teenage girls get to that stage where you know physically using their bodies becomes awkward and difficult. And and do you think that having that passion already, knowing more about your body, helped you in that sort of stage in life? I think so. I mean, like, let's be honest, you know, there, there's some, there, there, there's some of the culture of dance. that's not completely healthy. Mm. You spend so much time looking at yourself in a mirror. I don't know yeah. how healthy that could be <laughs> <laughs> for anyone at any stage in their life. Um, let alone, you know, growing up and as a teenager, but I will say that the, the group of people that I danced with and the dance school that I went to was pretty much like a second home. So mm. I think from that standpoint, it was really useful for me. I I always felt I had a home in dance, not only with Mm. the people that taught me and the people I danced with, but just, you know, being like being in my body dancing as well. I Mm. felt like I had this extra superpower that my friends at Mm -hmm. school didn't know I had or, you know what I mean? And I know for sure that they they couldn't do. So um, I I guess in one sense, I guess in that sense, it really, I guess it empowered me. I never thought of it like that. Thanks girl. I never thought of it like that. (laughs) <laughs> ah, great. And w- at what stage do you remember thinking, yeah, this is what I want to do. This is, this has got to be my life. Oh gosh. I remember pretty clearly. I think I was about 12 maybe. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, I was doing more and more dance. It was, it had turned from when I was three or four to once a week to like, you know, five days a week at least, wow. if not more, plus, you know, summers and stuff. And then I think I was 12. My mother took me to go see the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater mm. at a theater in Toronto. And it was the first time I had seen a group of dancers that looked like me, like everyone uh. on stage was black or brown uh-huh. or, um, of Asian, I think, uh, descent. Yeah. And it completely blew me away. A, I didn't know that that was something that had been missing in my life growing up in Mm -hmm. kind of suburban Canada. I had never really thought about it until it was presented to me. And then Mm. they were so gorgeous. Mm. I mean, obviously I had seen lots of really amazing and inspiring hip hop dancers on TV. I mean, I wanted to be a dancer for Janet Jackson. Like, I mean, I loved all of that (laughs) and I still do, but I, it was the first time I'd seen dancers on stage doing like, you know, modern dance, contemporary dance, things Mm. that were uh, also had training that they clearly had trained classically in ballet. Like Mm -hmm. I had never seen that before. And I think when we came home from that performance, I told my mom I wanted to dance professionally, which is odd that she was kind of slightly disappointed (laughs) because, well, maybe being, you know, like, you know, and, uh, you know, a, an immigrant of Jamaica and, you know, all her hopes are on her first generation daughter, yeah. you know, the, the first generation, you know, the, the expectation is that then we're going to be really smart and go off to be doctors and lawyers. Yeah. Yeah. And I was always really a smart kid as well. So it was like, Oh no, I'm going to dance now. And I was like, Oh really? Oh, okay. Oh, 
Um, and was that a, was that a battle you had to fight? Because it was actually a question I was going to ask you. Because uh, you know, a lot of people who want to go down a creative or artistic route in life often have sort of battles, for want of a better word, with parents who say, "Well, but make sure you get your qualifications because it might not work out," and that sort of thing. Was that a conversation that happened in your house? Absolutely. Yeah. The I think from that point forward, because. Uh, I was about to go into high school that mm. the, I had a kind of agreement with my mom that she would continue to pay for my dance lessons and everything else that I needed as long as I maintained a straight A average. Gosh, well, I know, right. Really crazy <laughs> strict. Um, so that's what I did. Um, and even my dance teacher and my call them my dance parents, Joanne and Barry. Right. Um, you know, I remember Barry used to set up a little space in the back of his office so I can like, you know, in between, classes, you know, study my calculus or whatever. And, wow. Um, so then, yeah, so I had to get straight A's. And then also uh, I wanted to then finish high school and go straight to New York City. Mm. And again, my mother was like, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was pretty gutted actually. And um, yeah. so I went and did uh, a degree. So I got a BA in kinesiology. Mm, um, I saw that. And what what is that? that that's to do with movement as well to do with body movement yeah so the study of um the human body biomechanics Mm. um so i studied anatomy and physiology and um and it was it this particular course was really steeped in sports and sports science Mm, so mm. um it was great and i think at at that point i started to get a bit discouraged and thought i was never going to dance professionally and i was going to then go become a physiotherapist or something yeah like that um but i never lost the love in the the passion for it. So the minute I graduated, uh, off I went. To New York City? Not quite. (laughs) (laughs) I had been to New York City a few times and auditioned and been cut and sent back home with my tail to my legs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a hard place to be from what I understand. (laughs) It is. It's amazing, but hard. (laughs) But you managed to maintain uh, your level of dancing throughout your studies as well, throughout university studies or college studies. Yeah, yeah. And I I taught dance and I trained whenever I could and did workshops, went to New York City in the summers, did class. Yeah. And then, um, and luckily, you know, Toronto is not far from New York. So yeah. know, it's a, when you're a student, you can just, you don't mind sitting on a Greyhound bus for 12 hours. No. You know, you can do yeah. that and then get off, go to dance class and get back on a bus. I couldn't do that yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. So yeah. And then, and then, uh, and then I ended up my first, my first professional dance job was with Dallas Black Dance Theater in Dallas, oh. Texas. And wow. Yeah. And that really blew my mind and opened up my world quite a bit. In what way? Again, similar to seeing the Alvin Ailey American dance theater perform and seeing uh, an entire company of, of dancers of color mm. and people that look like me. When I, yeah. when I finally joined Dallas black dance theater, I was in the company of, a whole set of beautiful dancers that looked like me. Yeah. So not only was I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't just watching them on stage. They were my colleagues. Yeah. How amazing. And, you know, and everything about the organization was run by, um, you know, Ann Williams, uh, a prolific and important black woman in Dallas, Texas. And, you know, they're about to celebrate their 45th year. And, mm. um, yeah. So I, I think it just, it changed how I saw myself as a dancer. I no yeah. longer was like the only one or, 
I didn't feel othered. I could just be my best self. Um, I didn't have to, I, I didn't have any doubt in my brain. And even at that young age, I don't think I was able to articulate what this was, but there's always a, a, a doubt in your brain when you are the only one mm. that you're only there because you're the only one. Yes. Yeah. You know, that people have only picked you on the team. So they don't want you to feel bad because you look so yeah. different not yeah. because you're actually be an asset to the team. So you don't know how to articulate that when you're like, a teenager no, or a young adult. I can figure I understand that now. But so, you know, when I was in my early twenties, it was like, wow, I don't have to like prove myself. I can just mm. be myself. Yeah. So. And if I'm the best, then I'm the best. And if I'm not, then it's not based on anything else other than my danceability. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and did that feel like another dance family to you then? Yeah. And sort of a, maybe, maybe sort of even more strongly so because of the sort of the, 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 not the issues, not the word I'm looking for, but how you felt, felt about now not being othered. Uh, well, completely. And I, you know, there's a lot of people from that time period that are still close to me and dear to my heart now. And, um, mm. I grew a lot, <laughs> um, you know, uh, mentally and, you know, and, um, in confidence and, mm. uh, it's funny. I didn't stay for that long, but it was very, sh- mm. it was a very impactful period. I mean, there was, it wasn't always super easy and it wasn't like, um, you know, I don't know. <laughs> there was, def- there was definitely difficult moments <laughs> from mm. time to time, but that's part of being a professional dancer. But I, yeah. I learned so much. And I think when I, when I left, I left with like my chest all big, like I was going to go off and again, you know, <laughs> take on the world. <laughs> and, then I, and then I got, you know, reminded. <laughs> uh, oh. <laughs> to, to, and when you say you got reminded and what, what do you mean by that? Well, I, I, you know, I remember, I remember when I danced, at Dallas Black and Miss Williams, um, the founder, um, she used to say, you know, dancers come a dime a dozen and I have $10, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and it was, so it was just a reminder that you're just a really small fish in a very you know, yeah. enormous uh, ocean. And mm. so, um, you know, when I left, I was reminded that I'm a small fish. Mm. Now, I'm, I'm a good, I'm a good fish. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a fish that swims well, but there's lots of other fish that swim really well. <laughs> yeah. So get to the back of the line. <laughs> yeah. And now I seem to remember, did you meet your husband on, uh, doing cruises? Is that, am I making that up in my head? No, that's exactly right. And it's so funny because it's, it's, it's right after I left, um, Dallas Black Dance Theater. So if I hadn't left when I left, I would not have uh-huh. met Neil. Ah, uh-huh, well, there you go. I know, I know. It was all <laughs> worth it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where you went to next. And, and dancing, what, d- d- dancing or choreographing or a bit of... Uh... Dancing, um, again, living my best life, dancing, traveling the world. Um, Neil and I met. Neil was playing um, in the orchestra at the time. He was a musician at the time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we just had a really great time Um performing, traveling. We went everywhere, the Caribbean, Europe, <sighs> Russia, um, you know, uh, the Eastern part of the U S like, you know, new England and, mm. um, Prince Edward Island. And yeah, you know, just wonderful. I mean, really nothing to complain about really. It was a great time. Yeah. Um, and do you feel that at what, at what period of your dance life or, or did they all make give you growth in different ways? Are there, are there any that sort of stick out that you think, yeah, I wouldn't be the dancer I am if it weren't for this period? I think they all taught me different things. I couldn't say that one of them 
was like the defining moment. Mm. I think, I think, um, what I, I I'm grateful that I've been able to really listen. Like, it's a weird thing. I never really stayed at every, at anything particularly long. Mm. Like I know there's some beautiful dancers that I worked with that are still at places mm. that, um, you know, that the same place that we worked with, you know, many moons ago and they're still yeah, there. Yeah. And I'm, I, I'm in awe of that. And it's incredible. And I, but I've never been that, that type of professional. Mm. I kind of, when I got an itch to leave and to move on, I moved on. So I think because of that, I feel like my journey and the lessons I've, I've gained from each place feel really clear. Mm. You know, like I, I feel like I've learned what I need to learn from yeah. these people in this environment and now I'm off. <laughs> yeah. At sort of what stage did you move to the UK and did you keep dancing when you moved to the UK? Yeah, I did. So um, I finished cruise ships and still dancing and Neil and I were a couple and it was this lovely, like sort of long distance. What are we going to do? He's in Scotland. Mm. I'm Canadian. We had dreams of moving to New York. <laughs> and yeah, I again, I was in New York and um, <laughs> we decided on London, you know, and yeah. Neil started working in London and I thought, right, I'll come and join you and we'll give it a year and see if, you know, this thing has life beyond our sea legs. Yes. And, um, and then I joined a contemporary dance company. Uh, here in London. I did that for a little bit. And then I joined um, the cast of The Lion King here in the West End in London. Ah, how amazing. Yeah, and um, and that's when things really started to go. It's like, I think I'm staying. And then not mm. long after that, you know, we got married. And yeah, and I'm here. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and so, and, and what at what stage did you start to move more towards the sort of choreography I mean I know you said you've been doing that all the way through mm. teaching and, and choreography but you know more towards the dance movement was that did that come more with motherhood or had that already had that evolution already started before you had your son it started before so I am mm. um, after I'd left Lion King I had uh, a brief period with different types of work like I was you know in performed as a dancer in operas and danced with other independent choreographers and made some really amazing collaborative relationships that are, uh, are still incredibly important to me now. But I was feeling a little bit like lost. I was getting older. Mm. You really felt that sense when you're in dance rooms about, I just felt older. Like, you know, choreographers mm. would ask you to do some <laughs> auditions and my mind would be like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you used to tell me why, you know, that's when you know you're getting yeah. a little bit, things are mm. shifting. And yeah. so, um, uh, I then found out about this, the course at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama in Movement Direction. Mm. And before that, I actually had gone to an organization called Dancers Career Development, and they are mm. an organization that help dancers transition. So if you're a professional dancer and you've had a body of work for at least eight to 10 years working professionally, they can help support you through helping you apply for grants or just getting coaching or anything that mm. will just help you realize that your skills as a professional dancer are transferable yeah. to something else. So I always knew I wanted to like um, do something else, but I, I knew that I didn't want to depart too far mm. from this industry. So for a little while I was a Pilates instructor and a really good one. Mm -hmm. And which was an amazing time because I was teaching in all these different studios in London and the clients had no idea that I was a dancer. It just, yeah. you know, and that was for me like really 
wow, okay, I have a separate identity and yeah. Ingrid the dancer. Um, and I also, also I'm good at this. Oh, okay. Right. And my, my, my education from being a, from having my BA in kinesiology came into yeah. play and it all was all kind of lining up. And then I found mm. this course at the world central school of speech and drama and movement direction. And I instantly said to Neil, I need to do this. And he's like, uh, why you've had a whole career. And it looks like mm-hmm. this is stuff you can do without going back and doing a post-grad degree. And I'm like, I just feel like I want to give myself the space and do it properly. Mm. How I felt was properly for me. Like I wanted to just focus. And so I did. And it was like the best thing. Um, Yeah. The best thing. And so, and did you learn, uh, and this might sound like a stupid question. Did you learn a lot more than you thought you might? I learned, it's not a stupid question because it's a really deep question because I, I learned a lot more about myself than I thought I would. Ah. I didn't really learn much. About, I mean, I learned about movement directing, but what uh-huh. I learned the most for me, maybe it was my age, I was a slightly mature student. Um, that's when I had Maxwell. So I was also doing it part-time and became pregnant, yeah. you know, maternity leave. Like I was, I really learned about Ingrid, um, mm. which... Um, you know, I literally came out on the other side. This when I, by the time I graduated, I came out on the other side, a mom, a woman who'd had a whole, you know, decades of a professional career behind her and a burning passion to make it all work. Yeah. Incredible. And what, and uh, you've just given me a sort of a, a glossary there, but what, are there any specifics you can give me about what you learned about yourself in that, mm. in that period? I learned that, I, well, you know, it's it's weird. I don't even know how to really describe this. Actually, I've never really spoken about it in this sort of way before. But it, it's it's about like learning about the skills that I have that make me um, a creative and collaborative person in a room. Mm. And it's about the skill, and also the skills that I have that make me um, what I hope is a, a generous facilitator in the room mm-hmm. and I'd never taken the time to think about that. I think mm-hmm. what happens is, is that when you take, when you're a young dancer and you start teaching, you just kind of start teaching. And it's like, Oh, okay, yeah. can, you, can you teach it? Yeah, sure. Great. I can do that. And you just kind of like make it up mm-hmm. as you go along. You never really think about the finer skills. I guess they're called soft skills in other industries yeah. that are needed to be able to hold a room and to, to get people to feel comfortable and um, allow people a space to feel their most authentic so that they can really connect with what you're there to offer. And I, mm. and I never really ever taken time to think about what that might be mm. and what it is about Ingrid that is able to achieve that. Do you know what I mean? So, yes. It, r- rather than the dancer, the person. The person, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I've read lots of books on theater practice, and there's still theater practitioners now that I'm like, what? Say who? How do you spell that? And I have to write it down <laughs> and do my research. So, I, you know, I'm by no means any sort of guru. There's lots and lots and lots I really don't know. But what I do know is what I can bring to the room, and that's been very, very empowering. Um, it is it is a it is a wonderful thing I think that that comes with a bit of age and uh, in my case you know, motherhood and, and and possibly yourself as well to know that all the things you have done not just within your professional sphere or capacity but just as you say as a person that you suddenly think yeah 
I'm good at this. I can, this is what I can bring to the party. Yeah. And I think, you know, like you're right. Motherhood does a little, it does a little thing to us. It's just, you know, <laughs> it, ter- it yeah. turns on a switch. Um, yeah. It's very hard as we all know. And, you know, yeah. every, everyone's experience is very different. Cause I always like to say, you know, we're all in the ocean, but we're, you know, we're in different boats. So everyone's yeah. experience will be different with motherhood. But I will say that it definitely turns on or at least flickers a switch in, mm. in a lot of moms. Um, either that now it's kind of now or never. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you kind of are able, if you're possible, if it's possible, you move into action mm-hmm. to, to make a change, whatever that change is. Um, yeah. Or it, it, it just kind of, it's like a light that's constantly blinking that you like, you know, you need to attend to, mm-hmm. but you just haven't quite gotten to like changing those batteries yet. The light <laughs> is always flicking, reminding you that you yeah. need to change those batteries. Yeah. And um, I definitely, once I became a mom, when I, when I went back to finish the MA and was like, right, I'm going to make something out of this thing. Uh, I was definitely determined and I still feel that same sense of determination. Um, from project to project to do well. Yeah. And I read, uh, which is, is great. And I read something that you, you'd done an interview where you said that it, it gave you, or it made you think very much more about boundaries, about how long you can work, when you can be available and what sort of projects you take on. And is that still the case, even though he's getting a little bit older Yeah, or even more so? No, still, yeah, still the case. I, I think, um, and again, it's something I never, well, I never had the luxury to do as a performer. Yeah. And I know a lot of dancers and actors still don't have the luxury. And I think that all mm. needs to change. Um, but um, I know now from my very first movement direction job, I set boundaries in place and I still do like, as in like I mentioned that I have, I'm a mother with a child mm-hmm. and I can't just give you my life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm going to have to leave. And and actually not only am I going to have to leave at some point, I'm actually ideally going to tell you the times that I'm going to have to leave. And does that, does it feel difficult to do that? Or did it feel difficult to do that? Because I can, you know, uh, we're not very good at that, especially women and mums. Often we are sort of used to giving and giving and giving. And we sometimes feels like it's rude to say, I'm sorry, I can't mm. or not even say, sorry, just this is, this doesn't work for me. How, how do you manage that? Well, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I think professionally it's never been hard. Mm. Um, right. Because I started it off like that. So Good. I feel like it's part of my kind of professional practice now. Yeah. Um, and I have a wonderful agent now who also supports that wholeheartedly. So I, you know, it's like doubly reinforced yeah. when I'm approaching projects, but, um, it's weird, but personally, I'm, it's still a work in progress. Personally, <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, yeah. you know, uh, boundaries and what I telling mainly what's a work in progress personally is telling people like those close to me what I need. Mm. Yeah, you know, like when I need help or when I need yeah. I need more of you. Like I need you to be here and not just going. Yes. Yeah, it's fine. It's okay. And you know, and then silently raging after. I can't believe they canceled it (laughs) where I should have just said at the time, like, no, actually I understand that you're canceling, but I just need you to know that I actually really needed you. Um, and I am not very good at that just yet working on that. 
<laughs> yeah, well, you and me both. I un- totally understand that. That is that. That's something I've been doing a lot of work on as well. Like, it's kind of looking back on old resentments and saying, right, how much of that was due to me not actually explaining myself properly. <laughs> Neil always says. Um, <laughs> Neil always says to me, "It's like, babe, I can't. I can't read minds. I'm, I, I, yeah. I have a lot of skills. <laughs> I'm really good at a lot of stuff. <laughs> Mind reading is not on the yeah. TV." <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so moving into the, the movement director role, did you feel like when it came around and you got your first gig and now moving forward, that it just, that it, it was where you were supposed to be with all the sort of the, the life skills and the professional qualifications and, and it just, did it just feel right? Yeah. And I'm mean, touching wood here that it did feel really right and it continues to feel really right and I think what's really beautiful about what's happening now career-wise is that I, I, I'm getting a chance to continue to straddle all different types of worlds like my mm. my dance background and my dance work hasn't been left behind I've carried it with me mm. so I get asked to do lots of projects because of um, you know my my connection to dancers mm. or my connection to actors or both um it's all kind of coming together really really nicely and um and and also I think you know I I maybe it could be my my heritage and you know my background I'm Mm. you know I am you know my my family is from the Caribbean my father was from St. Kitts my mother's from Jamaica I was born Mm. in Canada I've lived in Canada, the U.S., and now the U.K. I'm married to a Scotsman, so my in-laws are Scottish. <laughs> and I think I just see the world, you know, I, I know that I just have, you know, a, just a different point of view. It's a, a bigger lens. Yeah, and I, I think that also comes into my work, which can be problematic mm. sometimes for myself because I sometimes I feel a little bit um, not quite rooted um, yes. at times you know, yes. in terms of identity and I, and I, mm. in particularly in, in Britain, in the UK, there, there's a really, there's a really big discussion about identity and, you know, who are yeah. you and where are you from? And I, I find that a very difficult question to answer. Yeah. And I think I can, uh, well, I, I, I was just going to say, I can imagine, but I, uh, only from the perspective of a Brit who has lived abroad now for 12 years and having been home very recently and realized that I am actually, I don't really belong anywhere anymore. Mm. If that makes sense. Mm. And this is my home, but when I'm in Scotland, I sound like I'm from there, but it's quite clear that I haven't lived there for, you know, over 20 years. But what I was interested in um, from your perspective is I, I, I read an article that you did or an interview that you did, and I could not find it again before this interview, but I read the article and it was to do with what you discussed earlier about being a woman of color and not, you know, feeling a bit othered. And I wondered how that still works its way into your professional life and, and or even your personal life. But perhaps you'd rather just talk about the professional side of it. I'm just interested because, you know, you've got this amazing opportunity with the the dance a company in Texas where you felt that amazing feeling of being the same. And and I just was interested to know how, 
and where you have managed to find that if so since very long winded question no no i'm with you i'm with you first of all i'm really impressed at all these articles i'm like oh my gosh i've been you know obviously flapping my gums around it's very very useful for a podcaster to do to find people who talk a lot on interviews I love it (laughs) see I haven't changed much from my childhood center of attention um yeah so yeah I think it hasn't really changed much I think that's probably the really Mm. and 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 I'll give that a bit more wait in a second but I think you know the, the very sad short answer is that it hasn't changed much I go what's what's changed is um my ability to cope with and deal with though that feeling if that makes sense so mm, I think right. I think I haven't you know that's very very short periods of time in which I've been in shows or parts of communities or working with companies in which there's a kind of unspoken code that I don't need to explain myself or, or I don't even personally need mm. to question why I'm there. So, mm. and, that, and that's when I'm in rooms in which the majority of people in the rooms uh, look like me. And I basically mm-hmm. in rooms where I'm not the minority or the only mm. one. Yeah. And um, it, you'll never get rid of that constant niggle when you're the only one that mm. you're there because of some sort of, kind of um policy tick boxing mm, mm. thing you, it, yeah you just it's just there and it's a it's a big giant elephant in the room yeah for the person yeah. who is different and it's something that yes. i think everyone else in the room probably don't even think about yeah so you know the anxiety that that person's feeling is massive so yeah then what you end up getting is you know um you get you don't get that person's full self Yes. Because they're, they're, they're on alert, right? They're like, Oh, if I, if I yeah. say the wrong thing, are they going to understand me? Or are they going to think that's aggressive? Yeah. Are they going to think that's too quiet? Um, yeah. uh, 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 you just constantly doing a, a back and forth, a push and pull basically. So mm. yeah, it hasn't really changed. Like, I mean, I always, I always laugh that like, um, the first time, the first job I had, the first movement direction job I had was with the Royal Shakespeare company. And, mm. um, I went up to Stratford upon Avon and it was so exciting. It was like, they're, they're, yeah, I can imagine. You know, I'm like, they're in Stratford upon Avon and all. And, um, uh. you know, and I'm like, well, Shakespeare Company, well, and I'm thinking Shakespeare, you know. And so I was going to lead warm up for the actors, you know, after the introductions and stuff. And so I had made a playlist of music and mm. I had chosen this playlist of like Bach and Chopin uh-huh. because I thought I'm at the Royal Shakespeare Company. Yeah. <laughs> I should obviously only use classical music because it's Shakespeare, darling. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I can, I remember it. I had them like walking around and it was just in my mind. I was like, this is horrific. Like, and they're walking and I'm, I'm totally, and they're just kind of like doing everything because they're amazing actors and they, they totally made it work. But my whole being was like, yeah, yeah I can't keep this up for, it's not I me. I can't keep this up for six weeks. Like, no, no, no. Did, did you just feel it's just not, it wasn't, just wasn't you? It just you. wasn't me. And I came in the next day. Not, or not authentic. And I listen yeah. to like this kind of music, but I definitely, I don't, I definitely wouldn't use it to energize a room. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I love, I, <laughs> yeah. I love classical music, but you know, so the next day I think I made a playlist. The next time I was in, I made a playlist of like R&B and hip hop tunes of stuff that I would uh-huh. like dance to in my kitchen that would get me energized. Yeah, yeah. And I came and I played it and the room transformed. I, I think Amazing. even the directors jumped up and moved joined in and it was clear that oh, cool. what it was it was a reminder to me that yeah. I need to constantly 
work to bring myself like Ingrid fully yes. to the room, even if there's no other Ingrids around. Yes. Which is hard, but I, I keep striving to do that. Um, yeah. And, and that can, that, that same can be said for, for everybody, but especially as you say, in your case where it can be, I presumably feel quite isolating to be the only person of color in a room and in a professional space. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe my, my, tra- I could say training in quotations of growing up in Canada and, you know, at my dance school, there wasn't, there was like, maybe, I mean, I don't know, there wasn't very many of us. Um, mm. And, you know, we all felt really extremely welcome, but there wasn't very many of us. It's different now, yeah. which is beautiful to see. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, and I, and I danced at a time when, you know, just, it just wasn't, it, it was much harder work. Like my mom used to have to like uh, dye my, my dance tights and tees so that they match oh, my skin yes. tone and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And, you know, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think maybe that, that training again, I say mm. has, has, you know, made me a little bit more resilient, but I don't, I, I don't, I don't wear that like as a badge of honor. I'm just saying that no. it's, it's just something that maybe has helped me cope a little bit. Like I have a coping mechanism. I don't think anyone don't, should have a coping mechanism, but I think. No, that's what I was just yeah. going to say. It just seems awful that there has to be a coping mechanism in that situation. You have to rely on old hurts, old slights or, you know, as, as the microaggressions and all that sort of thing. And I wondered, you were talking about how it's changing now and how it's amazing to see more young dancers. And, and is there another, is there a, is there a next generation of black and brown and Asian dancers coming up? Yeah, I mean, yes. In, I mean, I look back at my old dance school, my old, old little dance family who are still doing their thing back in Canada. And, mm. I, you know, you, they, you see their social media and these, these beautiful young black dancers they're on fire I mean these kids are fire Mm. and um so it's beautiful to see um there's a lot more um dancers in particularly in Canada in in the U.S. you know black dancers who are doing their thing forging the way there's still Mm. unfortunately for me there's still too many firsts still happening yeah yeah, you know, yeah. even in twenty twenty one, you know, first, first, yeah. first. It's like, oh, really? I mean, that's great, yeah. but wow, um, the 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 push in the UK is a little bit slower, right? Um, I don't, I don't know why. I mean, I could, I can suspect, but I suppose that's a whole other podcast episode mm. as to why, <laughs> um, you know, yeah. that that development is slower. There's a lot more dancers of color forging their way into contemporary dance. In mm-hmm. classical dance spheres, not so much. Mm. Um, you know, there's beautiful companies like Ballet Black here in London that are forging the way, but they still come across uh, quite overt racism on social media. Yeah. So, I mean, if people oh. take the time to write stuff like that to them on a social uh, public platform, I can't imagine what else they go through when not everyone's looking. So, um, yeah, and that's really sad. Um, mm. You know, so so we're we're making strides, yes, in some industries and in some aspects of the of the of the of the industry, both in dance and theater, and in others, not quite. 
Mm. You know, and I think what we need are more people who are of color um, working from the top who can help yeah. facilitate change going down the way. Um, yes. And I think, uh, you know, what we do is we end up bringing, we try, we, they, a lot of institutions spend a lot of time, you know, trying to gather through outreach programs, trying to gather kids who are from different backgrounds to bring more diversity to the building, but that needs to be supported mm. with a more diverse yes. structure, like, you know, leadership or else it's kind mm. of a pointless exercise, you know, because then what the kids don't get is what I got when you go see yeah. Alvin Ailey and you see yourself. Yes. They don't see themselves. So they're like, well, what's the point? Yeah. And you also presumably just sort of re reinforces the feeling that that you're there just to tick a box or to to fulfill a quota or whatever absolutely absolutely so yeah big topic yes big topic (laughs) but talking of leadership and seeing that you had set up this amazing community um move space yeah and i wanted to hear more about that because it uh presumably you felt that there was a a need for it, a gap in the market, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, I think, so I set it up with Laura Dredger and, um, Mm. I don't, Laura runs it now on her own. I stepped down from, from helping to manage Mm. it day to day, but we, we set it up three years ago with the, with the idea that there just wasn't a community of movement directors. It wasn't a place Mm. where people could like come together and just ask questions, um, compare notes, um, even just sometimes just have some tea and cake mm. and just uh, <laughs> moan about something yeah. that had happened. You know, it's really, you know, like the, the most, the most influential of business people have networks. Mm. Yeah. That's how they do so well. They don't mm. go about it alone. They have a network of people that they can meet, ask for advice um, and, you know, and help be mentored, you know, informally to get to mm. where they are. And I, I, I feel quite strongly that I think that's what is missing sometimes in certain industries or certain, certain, certain roles in, in, in our industry. Yeah. Some, there's some incredible mentorship and networking and community and others you're just kind of left to your own devices and only yeah. the ones that um, are lucky do well. Yes. Uh, and is, um, sorry to just quickly ask, is movement director as a specific role, is that a reasonably new title job? Is it something that a director would have for- formerly done or a choreographer or is it sort of, I mean, not that I, just cause I haven't heard of it doesn't mean it's not new, but yeah, no, no, it's a good question. It is fairly new in that, um, there's always been someone who's been in charge of movement, calling them mm. a movement director is something that's probably since maybe the 19, 19- 70s 80s oh, okay you know mm-hmm. in comparison to like the history of theater that's that's fairly yeah yeah fairly new um yeah and i think it, before that they would be someone that might choreograph or someone who might set the dances particularly in, in classical work you know yeah. someone that will come in and set the you know the the particular dance that shakespeare references in play that sort of right. thing um but now they'll have a movement director who not only oversees maybe a particular movement moment but oversees the entire the entire storytelling from beginning to end, like mm. thinks about the the physicality of the entire play as opposed to just one isolated moment. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's really new. And there's been a lot of um, movement directors who, you know, helped really completely shift a whole production 
from that movement work. Do you know what I mean? Like that, yes. that has been the thing that has made audiences go, I don't know something about it. They're so like, Oh yeah. And it's, it was the movement work that did that. It's, inc- it's incredible. I love that sort of thing that there are so many things that you don't know that you are experiencing, that someone has dedicated their life to making sure that you experience it. <laughs> I find, I find that absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? It's the total behind the scenes unknown Mm. And, you know, people, you know, people will, will, will actually think, oh, you know, was, of course, it's, you know, the, the, the director's, um, you know, has a massive part to play, but it's also mm. the director in conjunction with um, all these other people that never get named yeah. <laughs> that helped make something so moving. Uh, yeah. And so do you have quite a big community on your move space? Yeah, there's about, to support. I think on fa- I think on social media, you know, we at Facebook, maybe it was like 300 people. And then Fantastic. I think there was a mailing list of about 150 to 200. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just in the UK, people in Europe and also in Canada and the US as well. And, you know, we do online since the pandemic, you know, online continued professional development, like just, mm. just little workshops and movement things to keep people connected and keep people yeah. moving literally. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So yeah, community is really big for me. I don't know if it's because I came from, you know, a small family and, you know, I always like to just try and build a community wherever I go. So um, yeah, community has always been really important to me. It is really important. Uh, it's something I, hold very dear to my heart in this part of the world as well. I just wanted to touch on one uh, sort of final thing. Uh, obviously, movement is a huge part of your life. And there's such a great drive these days, as there should be, and part of uh, another sort of women's only community about getting girls and women moving. Mm-hmm. How important would you say it has been in your life and do you see it in other women specifically about just making sure that we move our bodies? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, that, that's a really great point. I think there's two things to this. There's, there's, there's first is that I think in terms of women kind of more so in women than in young girls, because hopefully if we're talking about young girls, this is not something that is an issue, but yeah. um, with women, you know, something about reclaiming your body, Mm. And there's something that you can, you can kind of reclaim your body again through movement Mm. and everything from very um, detailed somatic work in which you go back to your breath and you go Mm. back to how you function on a cellular level, you know, Mm. and how you lie on the floor and how Mm. your eyes blink and how your rib cage expands and contracts when you breathe. And that sort of thing that can actually help heal a lot of people if, if any you know, depending on mm. what's happened in their life. And, mm. you know, for young girls being able to connect with their bodies in that way um, from a very young age is very useful in the sense that it gives them power and agency over their bodies mm. uh, before anyone else starts telling them how they should look yes. or dress or feel mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. do with their body. And, you know, mm. and in, particularly in our day and age now, when, and it, whenever you see a female body moving, it's either they are, um, you know, completely sexualized and some of it's entertaining and some of it's empowering. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Beyonce and JLo mm. like anybody else, but mm. I know that I know if 
if you come from a place in which you don't feel like you have power over your body, you can see that and you don't see the positivity in it. You just see yeah. the negative in it. So I think, you know, helping people reclaim their bodies through movement is, is extremely useful. Um, teaching people about their own bodies. It's incredible to know that so many people don't know anything about their bodies mm. and they reach you know their forties and fifties and don't know, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, which is quite frightening, isn't it? Body literacy is low. I have discovered over the years, extremely low. And then mm. other times when we see, I mean, I was just thinking about this with the with the Olympics. I mean, I, there was much discussion about you know women and what they wear when they're performing mm. sports, and you know, so we're seeing these incredibly empowered women, but then you know, you find out they're actually not as empowered to a certain degree as we thought they were because you know some man most likely yeah. decided that they need to wear this particular sort of outfit to um, yeah. do their sport. So, I mean, I think yes, body literacy, moving, giving people agency over their own bodies to heal and to continue to empower, I think will do lots for us um, going forward. Um, yeah. And, and also to do with um, uh, mental health as well, especially in this day and age, as we are all, you know, learning, as we go with this crazy pandemic, that just movement can just, the link between moving your body and keeping your brain and your, sorry, your mental health healthy. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's so extraordinary. It's absolutely extraordinary and totally linked. Um, I always feel better by doing mm. um, a really good boogie in my kitchen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which I do often. <laughs> Um, sometimes I record them for other people to also maybe be inspired to do the same or I, d I do like seeing your kitchen boogies on Instagram. I have to say, <laughs> well, I think you should join in and do one. Katie. Yes, I know you want it. Well, I am actually, I am a bit of a kitchen boogier myself, but I think you were, that was going to be your challenge, Katie, wasn't it? It was definitely. <laughs> Cool. Well, I've actually, I've been brave enough to put it on stories. I've never actually put it on my feed. So maybe that would be my challenge is to sort of actually put it there. Clearly it's not for actual perpetuity because I could delete it anytime I like. But You <laughs> <laughs> keep it up at least until the end of the year, at least. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fine. Well, that's perfect because one of the things I love to do when the kids leave for school uh, is to turn the music up and just have a good old thrash about and I don't do it nearly often enough but it oh man it makes me feel good that's definitely that's exactly what I do it it's like that little brief moment um where maybe um Neil has decided to take little guy up for bath time and I uh -huh. have this, and I probably should be doing dishes or something but instead but I play music huge schmood. I, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I play yeah. music and then you know and I dance and then yeah yeah and he was like clean up downstairs and like well, I mean sort of depends what you think of cleaning up <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I danced around the dishwasher yeah that's yeah. you know <laughs> you know I was in the vicinity of cleaning stuff yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so amazing it was just been so incredible to speak to you Ingrid thank you gosh I you're right there's so many things that we could have gone into Oh, so much more there. But I want to just uh, check, where can we follow you on social media? Uh, um, on Twitter, I think I'm at Ingrid McKinnon. And same thing on mm -hmm. Instagram, I'm at Ingrid mm -hmm. McKinnon. Those are the most exciting places to follow <laughs> me, I suppose. <laughs> cool. Great. And uh, really, just again, to say thank you, that was just wonderful. I loved speaking to you and I wish you all the very best with the the next steps in the movement direction. What, well, is, are there any plans? I didn't even ask you. What's the, what is the next step? Is there anything afoot? Uh, well, yes, I'm going to be, yeah, I can, well, I'm going to be um, 
I'm currently in rehearsals for um, a play at Colchester Theater. So mm-hmm. it's um, Antigone, Greek tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so just in rehearsals for that. So really exciting. And then I'll be um, doing the movement for the panto at Stratford, Theater World Stratford East. <gasps> Uh, Red How Ri- exciting! Yeah, Red Riding Hood. So I'm excited about that. My first panto, so that's exciting. Oh, well, did you know that I am the producer of the world's only alpine pantomime? Oh, that's uh-huh. funny. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to call you <laughs> Yeah, no, all the way through this, I was just thinking, man, we could certainly use a movement director <laughs> in our very, very amateur show. Actually, I did have one other question, which I, I it sort of came back to you saying that your mom said you had to have straight A's. Yeah. Has that helped you, depending, I suppose, on what you studied? In Because you presumably have to have a reasonable understanding of things like Antigone and like all sorts of, you know, uh, classical plays mm. and, and so on and so forth. A sort of a, a sense of the era and of the... Is, is I making any sense? Yeah, no, totally. I think, I think, I, I, I definitely, I definitely think that like, so my, my mother... Um, did not have the opportunity to finish her high school education. Mm. So, you know, education was like, I mean, you could, you could not, she, she would not waver yeah. on that. So mm. um, me doing well in school, me reading, me writing, doing all this stuff to a really high level from a very young age was, was like kind of non-negotiable. Yeah. So I, I actually think, and I, and I, I did really well in my BA and in my MA. Mm. You know, considering that, you know, I really had like dance and performance on the brain, which people some, <laughs> people sometimes tend to link towards not being very smart. Oddly, mm-hmm. enough, do you know what I mean? So, yes. um, so, but I, I am a bit nerdy, and you know, a bit as as I was a kid, I was that kind of kid that you describe as precocious. You know, so um, mm. I think it has helped in that I can understand concepts and things quite quickly. Um, and I, I can read quite quickly. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like I can read a script yep. fairly quickly and get under the bones of things mm. maybe quicker. Like I, I didn't study English literature or anything. And I, you know, I can read a script and go, oh, right, yes, I have the themes. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, I think, I think it's all linked to me having to really, really do well in school has yes. really prepared me for my ability to like step into rooms and quickly assess, do things, make notes, read, yeah. join in conversations, you know, carry myself with a certain um, sensibility than I think I, I would maybe have or be playing catch up to game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, oh, it's great. No, I love it. I, I, I sounds like that sort of feels like everything you've ever done has led to this point, which I just think is it, it's a good feeling. I've had that feeling myself. <laughs> And it feels, it feels good. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, listen, I won't keep you any longer. Thank you so, so much. Um, and uh, I look forward to catching up another time. Thank you, Katie. An absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that. I'll be back next week with some more great chat with another amazing woman. Bye-bye. <laughs>